chapters does the book of John have? I don't know, 22, first gear. So, 12 parts to three chapters, it's four per chapter, that's 80-something, 90 weeks. Yeah, it'll take us a few years, and I'm okay with that. But why are you laughing, Nancy? Oh. Do you know why we're doing this? Are we going to have some other series kind of in between? But it's so important that we have a whole Bible theology, that when we preach, we preach through every single scripture. We don't pick and choose. Have you ever been to a wedding? And you, you want to be at that wedding where the, the father of the bride is wealthy and they're the ones who pay for the reception and all the food and the buffet. And you can go and pick exactly what you want. We can't treat our faith the same way. This is my favorite scripture. This is my favorite passage. And because we can very easily just pick the ones we like and just stew on those. Oh, they make us feel good, don't they? But actually, we should have a whole Bible theology, and that's why we're preaching through this book one section at a time. So we're preaching through it to make sure that we don't just choose our favorite verses, because going through the Bible this way forces us to look at scriptures we wouldn't normally, that might make us feel a bit uncomfortable, or I don't know what that scripture means, but now I've got to preach on it. It's really, really important. Because 1 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. In other words, every single Scripture, every single verse is useful, is helpful, is beneficial, is good for you. Every single Scripture, and surely we would want to have the most benefit from our faith, Right? Three and a half months ago, I had a shoulder operation, so I'm still in recovery. I went to the, the doctor this last week for the final checkup, and he says, oh, it's 14 weeks after your op. How's it feeling? I'm like, oh, it's still actually quite sore. And he's like, yeah, 14 weeks, you're about 70% recovered. I'm like, what? How long does this take? But I remember him saying right at the beginning, you don't have to go to physio <laughs> because physio will just speed up the process of recovery. It'll, it'll help you, but you're not gonna, it's not going to make it better in the long run. It'll just take you longer if you don't do the exercises and go for the physio. So I'm like, no, I want every benefit possible. So I went to the physio. It's the same with our faith. We should want every benefit that God offers. And if all Scripture is God-breathed, man, we should want to know all Scripture. <laughs> because... Jeremiah chapter 1 says, God watches over His Word to see it fulfilled. God doesn't watch over our opinions or our ideas or our activities. He watches over His Word to see it fulfilled. Jesus told a parable about a sower who sowed seed. And He said, when the seed fell on good ground, when the heart was good inside that person, it received the Word. There was a harvest. What was the harvest? 30, 60, or 90-fold, right? In other words, if you invest one unit into a good heart to receive God's Word, what is the reward? What is the, what's that financial term for the return? What's the return? 30 times at least, 
right? If someone said to you, hey, put a thousand rand into this investment, and in a month's time, you can have 30,000 rand, you'd all think, ah, this is a dodgy scheme. There's no ways the returns can be 30 times. But God says, if you invest in His Word, the returns are 30, 60, or 100-fold. I've been reading through the book of Acts in my devotion. We'll come to John sometime today. I promise. You're reading the book of Acts, and it gives the most amazing picture of this early church, what they did, and Peter's adventures, and Paul's adventures, planting churches, and breaking into new regions. And in Acts 2, we get the snapshot of this brand new church that has started. Acts 2.42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I would love this church to be devoted to the Word of God, the apostles' teaching. We have it now in the Bible. I would love us to be devoted that, that when it comes to life group, we're excited to discuss and unpack a scripture together. We're excited to get around God's Word. I'd love us to be devoted to God's Word. Love us to be eagerly anticipating the next theology. Again, it's another two hours out of my Sunday. I only have two days for a weekend, and now you're taking like a tenth of that day. Two hours a month? That's not too little to invest in God's Word in your life. Imagine we were so excited. We can't wait for theology. Imagine when we're training our kids and talking to them, the Word of God just comes out naturally. I get quite worried when I see our generation, including myself, I get concerned because I think the, the easy access and the wide availability of the Bible has made us lazy. You can just Google from your phone anytime, day or night. You can download 40 different versions of the Bible. We have access to online teachings and Bible studies easily. You can download podcasts, but for some reason it's made us lazy for, for ourselves individually to love God's Word. You go to places like China where the church are persecuted, and they're lucky to have one Bible, one Bible for the whole church. Imagine this was the only Bible that we had here. And every week, well, imagine at the start of the year, we tore up the Bible. We gave everyone a few pages. And every week we came back together and we swapped pages. Imagine that was all we had of the Word. I get concerned that we, because it's so easily available, we're lazy with it. I'm scared we stop reading it and obey it. Paul says this is... The Word of God is like the sword of the Spirit. It's one of the few weapons we have spiritually. What if our sword is growing rusty and we forget how to use it? Wouldn't you be worried for your faith if you had no weapon? I'm scared that God would say to our generation, you have, I have, we have no excuse. Any of us can read the Bible anytime. We have no excuse. In the Middle Ages, Bibles weren't available, right? But you and I, we have no excuse. We have access to Scripture 24-7. And 
And yet so often we choose to go to New Age ideas and all kinds of strange philosophies or conspiracy theories or whatever it might be, instead of coming back to God's Word. Ah, I want us to be devoted to God's Word, to treasure it, to eagerly desire it, to pray it, to obey it, to hide it in our hearts, as Psalm 119 says, to let it change us. So, Father, as we look at Your Word now, God, I pray that we would treasure every word from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 22. We're carrying on. After this, Jesus and His disciples went out into the Judean countryside where He spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and the people were coming in to be baptized. So there's like this overlap in John the Baptizer's ministry and Jesus' ministry. They're both baptizing kind of near each other. Okay, got the picture? In brackets, it says, this was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. These Jews had all kinds of ritual cleansing ceremonies that they did, and they had now this argument. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you testified about, talking about Jesus, look, he's baptizing, and everyone's going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The first thing that we can see from this little interaction is that there's a bit of a stumbling block for John's disciples. It's a stumbling block of envy. They are envious. They are jealous. So Jesus and John, they're baptizing at the same time. But it seems like a whole lot more people are going to Jesus. And John's crowd, who were called the Baptists. (laughs) Gee, you guys are quite this one. I'm joking. He was the baptizer. They were dwindling. So, so the hardcore guys who are sticking with John, they like, they can see all their buddies are going to Jesus' camp on that side of the river. And they're like, oh, John, can you see what's happening? They're envious. They're upset that their little circle is getting smaller and that someone else's circle is getting a whole lot bigger. They're jealous of Jesus' success. Why? Well, because people get offended. People get upset. People get jealous when others succeed. This is human nature, the fallen human nature. Why? We want to be on the winning team. We want to be on the team that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's kind of part of this competitive environment that we live in, and it's instilled from when we're young. My two older kids both had sports matches this week. They had to travel to another school, play some matches, and come back. And on the Wednesday, the one who went, I think it was Wednesday, Thursday, I'm not sure, That child lost three out of four matches, their team. And you can imagine their face was downcast. They were bleak. They don't like losing. 
Now, the child who went in the team on Friday, which is a different sport, they won every single match convincingly. The moment they walked in the door, they were so happy to tell the whole family, we won every game. And that's just from young, we have this competitive, we're in this competitive environment. And it happens in the workplace as well. I work for a, an agricultural company, but one of our departments is a sales department. And there's always competing. Why? Because they want to sell more than the guy next to them. And sometimes they compare to the guy or the girl next to them. They're like, ah, it's not fair. No wonder this person always has greater sales and profit. Their area is much bigger. They've got much nicer customers that pay on time. So we can compare. And in our company, I don't know if, if you're in a sales environment, but there's a prize at the end of our financial year for the one person who's made the most sales and the most profit for the company. It's a big prize. It's a trip overseas with your family for like a week on like a nice island holiday. Now, I'm in R&D. We never get those prizes. Like, but we don't make any sales either. So. But there's a lot of recognition, and everyone is like, oh, well done to so-and-so. Won the prize. But secretly, like, I wanted to go to Mauritius next year. You know? there, there's some competition, some envy, some jealousy. And sometimes it can lead to unethical tactics, trying to get ahead. Maybe not in the sales environment, but... This has happened in my department where a new young person comes in and after a few years they shine and they get promoted ahead of the guys who've been there much longer. The guys, the older guys are like, oh, it's not fair. I've been here longer. I know the company better. And there's like this animosity. We're in a competitive environment. And you can see it happening even in John's disciples, right? This is a thing of envy. You know what envy does and jealousy? It clogs our heart. It clouds our vision. And suddenly, something that should be a really small issue suddenly consumes us, and we end up focusing on this one issue and missing the point. I just want to make more sales than them. And John, amazingly, doesn't allow envy or these fickle crowds to steer him off course. And this kind of Envy happens throughout church history. Go and read the last 2,000 years of church history. What happens? Well, well, this is what happens. God does something new. There's a new ministry that's birthday. A new denomination starts. And it's exciting. And God's blessing it. Maybe lots of people are getting healed in that ministry or that denomination. Or lots of people are getting saved. Or lots of people are going out and planting churches or Maybe lots of songs are being written. Whatever it might be, God's blessing a new thing. And the older servants of God, they get suspicious. We've served God a lot longer than they have. Is it even real? Is that just, that's the flesh. Then they think that maybe. Actually, God is doing a new thing. We can get envious of it. And actually, we should be glad and we should rejoice when others or other ministries or other churches are being successful, I say successful, like God's kingdom's advancing. We should be glad, not mad, especially if it's not in this church or not part of the network that we connect with NCMR. But we can so often get suspicious, or is that thing real? I don't think that's from God. We have to acknowledge if God is at work, Acknowledge it. We're here for the kingdom of God, not for the church of Eden Glen. 
right? Second thing we can see in John is that there's an antidote for this envy, this jealousy, and it's humility. John displays amazing humility, even though his own disciples are full of envy and jealousy. He's got this amazing humility. He says, a person can receive only what has been given him from heaven. Wow, underline that in your Bible. You can only receive what God has given you. And that is so humbling and so freeing, right? I know God hasn't given me the ministry of leading worship. And you should all be very grateful that I don't sing on stage, right? (laughs) And I'm secure in that. It took me a few years, honestly. It took me a few years to get to that point. But I'm secure. I don't worry that I should be a worship leader. I'm secure of of what I shouldn't be. And any ministry should be God-given. John the baptizer, his ministry was given from God, right? Jesus' ministry was given from God. There should be no ever comparing or competing if it's given from God. And you and I shouldn't want any ministry unless it's given from God. No ministry is worth having or being part of or leading or unless it's given from God. And if God works in someone else's ministry, we should be so excited and glad that he's doing something. John describes his role like the friend of the groom, like the best man. Of the guys here, who's been a best man at a wedding before? A few. Okay, okay. Some embarrassed, some shy guys. Once I was a best man. And I think all the other guys saw how bad I was and never invited me to be their best man. <laughs> I don't think I did a great job, but I did one or two things okay. But the best man has a really important role. His role is to make sure that on the wedding day and leading up to the wedding day, things are ready so that the bride and the groom can come together and get married. That's the basic bottom line. And he has to make sure the, the groom-to-be is dressed, ready, in his right mind. All the important stuff is taken care of. But he knows, the best man knows, he's not the star of the show. The moment the bride comes down, he's got to step back and fade into the background. And John says, I'm like the best man. And I can't wait. my, My joy is complete that the groom is here, that Jesus is here. And so you and I, friends, we have a distinct functional role but it's not to take the limelight from the groom. You see, John knew that what he was called to and what he wasn't called to. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. He didn't try and pretend. He didn't hope. He just knew what God had called him to. So he was being faithful with what God had given him, of saying the Messiah is on his way and of pointing him out. He was realistic. He, was, he had a sober understanding of his part within God's greater part. And he didn't overplay it. He didn't think he was more important than he was. And he didn't underplay it. He didn't have a false humility. Oh, my part's it's not really important. I'm really nothing. There wasn't a false humility either. He understood his part within God's greater plan. And so he stayed in his lane. He didn't try and run someone else's race. Another scripture in Hebrews, run the race marked out for you. He didn't try to run someone else's race. He knew where he was called. And so humility, I think, is 
Part of it is knowing and accepting and rejoicing in what God has said about us and what He has called us to, and not overemphasizing that importance and not downplaying it either. Just being sober. Yes, I am Glendon. I'm not called to lead worship. I'm called to worship, maybe not to lead worship, called to other things. Humility causes us to be self-effacing. It's not about us. It's about the groom and his bride. It's so one picture that Paul uses for our different functions and our different roles is the picture of the human body, all these body parts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says, all these body parts have to be joined together. You can't have pieces of the body all over the place. They've all got to be connected together, and they've all got to do their part Otherwise, the body's not going to function. They have to be connected to the head because you know that a, a body without a head is a corpse, right? In other words, our connection to the head, who is Jesus, is essential. If we want to have the life of God, we need to be connected, number one, to the head. We have to have our own personal relationship. Our source must be Jesus. We've got to be connected to Him. And we have to be connected to the body, this local church. We've got to be stuck in here, as stuck in as my arm is stuck into my body. We've got to be connected and part of it. And not just that, but if you're a body part, and we're all body parts, we have to do our role. Has any one of you had a kidney that just said, hey, I'm on holiday this week, don't eat any heavy food? No, it plays its part day in, day out. Imagine if your eyes said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm off. You'd walk and bump into stuff. You wouldn't be able to drive to work or to look at your phone. And Paul says, actually, every body part's needed. And if some of them aren't playing their part, it's a disadvantage to the body. And so for you and I, the, the, the application for you and I is that are we connecting with Jesus personally? Am I reading His Word? Am I praying? Am I being filled with the Holy Spirit myself? Secondly, am I connected into this body? Am I part of it? Am I in a life group? Am I serving in the church? Am I using the gifts that God's given me to serve others, either in the church or at the church? Really important for, for our faith. Humility is, is an objective view of ourselves. Remember Jesus told a parable of how uh, a wealthy man gave his servants different talents. One talent of gold and two talents and five talents, each according to their ability, right? Uh, many of us know the parable, know the, the basic concept, but we have to be realistic and say, ah, I'm, I'm just a one-talent man. When it comes to leading worship, uh, maybe like one-tenth of a talent. <laughs> can play the guitar, but I can't sing in tune. Can't play with any rhythm. But when it comes to worship, man, I, I think I've got two talents for worship. I, I love to worship. We have to be sober about what gift God's given us and the measure it's been given. Right? I'm just, I'm just a one-talent man in this area. That's okay. Be objective. Be sober-minded about it. But you know what God says? If you are faithful with what you're given, He will add to it. He will multiply. So we might be a bit unhappy. Why, why did I get one-tenth of a talent? <laughs> it's not fair. But actually, if we steward that thing well, 
Man, God can add and add and add. And my last point, humility elevates Christ. John says these amazing words, he must become greater, I must become less. John was wanting to fade in the background, Jesus to take the limelight. Just like when the sun comes up in the morning, you stop seeing the stars, they fade into the background. He must become greater, I must become less. John's aim was not to promote himself, but to put forward Jesus. And he did it unashamedly. And in that particular time where Jesus was physically walking on earth, John was happy that his little crowd of followers got less and less and less because they were going to Jesus. I think he would have been upset if they went somewhere else, but he saw where they were going. He's like, that's okay, that's good that my ministry is shrinking, (laughs) right? It's a good thing. He was okay. He had no issue with it because he was secure in his calling. He says, I'm not the Messiah, Totally okay with that, what God's called me to. He must become more important. And friends, we have to make sure that our focus never, ever shifts from elevating Christ. We must never stop raving about Him and worshiping Him and reading about Him in His Word and honoring Him and adoring Him and praising Him and preaching Him. We must never, the moment this church stops focusing on Jesus... Please go find another church. I beg you. Because then we've missed the point. We're on His mission. You know that it's it's God who calls us. You know that. It's God who calls us. Sometimes we can personalize our call. Oh, it's my call. Actually, I don't think it is. I think it's God's call for my life. It's not my call for my life. And I think that there's, a, there's a kind of like a, a balance we have to walk because there is a sense that I have a part to play in God's plan. And there's no one else like me on planet earth. And so I have a unique part. And therefore that part is important because God didn't make another person like Lyndon. Yeah? That is true. Absolutely. But it's my part within God's bigger plan. And sometimes I think as preachers, and I think I've made this mistake Sometimes we tend to overemphasize how important my part is. Don't you know, Claudine, God's got an amazing destiny for you. You can't even imagine how amazing God's plan is for your life. You can't even think or dream. It's way bigger than you think. We can overemphasize my part in God's kingdom. Well, because you want to make sure we understand how important it is that I do play my part. You try and maybe convince people to get serious about God and run the race that's marked out for them. But I think sometimes we can major too much on that. And that is true. It is important. Every one of our calls, it is personal, it is unique, it is specific, it is one of a kind. But it's God's calling over all our lives that brings the kingdom into planet Earth. The problem, if we overemphasize, if we major on something that's true, but is really a minor part of our faith, we can have this gospel that's all about me. Don't you know Jesus died for me, and God is here to bless me? And then if He doesn't, oh, I point a finger, it's, ah, it's not fair. They are blessed, but why not me? It's not about us. 
right? He must become greater, we must become less. There's a song, and I, and I think you'll know why I'm not going to try to sing it. <laughs> one of the words, one of the, the lines goes like this, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who can save everybody. That's humility. I'm just, in the greatest scheme of things, I'm just no one. Yes, I'm a child of God. I have royalty. I have authority. All that is true. But if the greatest scheme of things is all about Him, this somebody who has saved us. And as a church, we want to point people to Jesus. Just like John the Baptizer was saying, I'm not the Messiah, rather go there. We want to point people to Christ. Not to us, not to our ministries, <laughs> through the ministries to Christ. You put up the, the logo for Hope City Church. I think it's probably the slide after. This is what we're aiming for. Gather, grow, serve, go. We want to know Christ. We want to make Him known. That's all we want to do in Hope City Church. And how do we go about doing that is gather, grow, serve, go. You've probably seen that a hundred times, right? But we gather like this on a Sunday, not because it's fun. Well, it is fun. <laughs> Guys are our friends. But we gather to worship Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We gather around Him. Grow. We want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Not with a whole bunch of scriptures. Not with uh, someone else's podcast in the morning. They're great, but don't have a relationship with Him. With Jesus. So we grow in our faith through a relationship with God and being connected in community. We have life groups because God's design is that we grow best together. And so I want to implore you, not make you feel bad, but but if you're not in a life group, you're missing out on God's design for your personal growth. You're missing out. You're going to grow slower than those who are in a life group. Don't feel bad. Just get in a life group. I'm not trying to manipulate you or make you feel sad or just, it's to your benefit. It's God's design of how we meant to grow. Serve, gather, grow, serve. We I mentioned that briefly. We meant to serve each other as an expression for God's love because He has saved us. There should be an overflowing gratitude and love to God and what He's doing on planet earth, which is His bride, His church. It should just flow out naturally, service and love of other people. We want to serve others out of our love for God. And you know that that glorifies God when we serve. Do you know that? I've got three kids, and it's happened a few times where I've taken great care and time and pains to go and select a Christmas present or a birthday present. I thought about it. What is this child? What is going to excite this child? And you go and you think about it, and you Google, and eventually you find something, and then you, you find something that's in this country that looks similar to that thing in that country, and you eventually get the gift. You give it to them on, on their birthday, and they're like, oh, that's awesome, thanks, Dad. They move on to the next present. Like, you know how much time I took to find that thing? Hey? Just get a puppy. <laughs> Just going to write that down for future use. The most, not the most, one of the saddest things as a parent is if I give a gift to my child or I buy them a nice pair of shoes and they don't use it. It's just sad. 
taken, the, forget the monetary cost, but the time and the, the heart of wanting to bless them. Now, imagine God the Father who has given every one of us gifts, abilities, talents, skills, and we don't use them. Man, I wonder how sad. I just think to myself, there's probably things God's put in me that I haven't yet discovered, right? I hope to discover more of them soon, but, but I think there's an element of sadness in God the Father if we're not walking out our calling and serving one another with the gifts He's given us. It glorifies Him when we serve, when we're connected, when we're involved and plugged in. Gather, grow, serve, go. We want to make an eternal impact, not just for this life, Giving to the orphanage, the food, the school fees, that makes an impact for this life. It's good. We should do it. God stirs your heart. Be generous. But we also want to make an eternal impact. So we want to go. We want to be a going church. Jesus left heaven to earth. We want to leave Eden Glen and preach the gospel. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Our view needs to get a bit bigger, church. It does. We might never go, but we can pray for another country. We can pray for a partnering church in another nation. We can get the heart and get behind what they're doing. We were planning a mission trip to Zimbabwe for the middle of August, and I got in touch with the guy who's heading up that particular trip in Zimbabwe, and he said, actually, the, the date has shifted earlier. It's the 1st of July. So I'm taking a team up. On Friday, the 30th of June, for the 1st of July, we'll be in some Zimbabwean churches on the Sunday, the 2nd of July, and we're going to drive back Sunday afternoon, be back here Sunday night. If you want to come on a mission trip, you want to come to Zimbabwe, you need a passport that's not expired, <laughs> let me know. We'll need one day of leave. We'll drive up Friday, we'll be back Sunday night. Let me know if you, if God's stirring your heart to Go and preach and be involved somehow, putting a team together for that. I wonder if we could stand, if the band could come up.